Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Today's business travelers are finding that fitting in a little leisure time keeps them recharged and excited on work trips. I know this because whenever I travel for work, I always try and meet up with a friend to catch up, have a great dinner, or hit a museum wherever I am. So if you're traveling for work, go with the card that puts the travel in business travel, the Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. Hey, so if you're a business owner or hiring manager struggling to attract and retain top talent, it's no secret that finding the right employees and keeping them engaged can be an uphill battle. Fortunately, there's Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices, and your people will get the training tools they need to thrive. Download their free ebook at insperity.com for tips to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your goals. Spend less time worrying about recruitment and retention and more time growing your business. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at insperity.com. The reality was, Guy, that we didn't have much money left in the bank. I remember we had like $2,700 and I yeah. returned to our one bedroom office during the summer I remember we had a one tiny AC and super hot uh, so we were all like wearing only the, the underwear because it was so hot yeah everyone just wear, wearing the underwear and there's a fan just like one fan and one tiny AC was like and struggling to blow out the cold air because it's not cold anymore even like one of the engineer had like the towel around his neck because he was sweating too much. And I, yeah. I had a hard time not cry because I felt so bad. Welcome to How I Built This, a show about innovators, entrepreneurs, idealists, and the stories behind the movements they built. I'm Guy Raz, and on the show today, how a failed idea for a stationary bike led to more failures before Seiju Jung landed on Noom, a wellness and weight loss app with millions of users. There's a book that came out in 2009 called Nudge. It was written by two influential scholars, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein. 
one of the central arguments the writers make is that it's possible to nudge people into making better decisions about their finances, their health, and even their happiness. And you can do this, the book argues, by making very simple tweaks in how you present information and options to people. The book was incredibly influential. It was almost required reading in the Obama White House. And it also had a huge impact on business and marketing. It's why, for example, many companies automatically enroll their employees in retirement or health plans rather than ask them to sign up. It turns out most people want to participate in those things, but many of them just forget to check the box. I mention all this because it plays a somewhat indirect role in today's story. Because the two founders of Noom were very much trying to figure out how they could encourage small tweaks in human behavior to help people get healthier, and more specifically, to lose weight. But initially, that wasn't quite the plan. In 2008, when Seiju Jung and Artem Petikov launched what would eventually become Noom, the health and wellness space was just taking off online. Seiju's original idea was for a stationary bike linked to a smart screen, sort of like what Peloton is today. His idea eventually morphed into a cardio trainer, sort of an early version of Strava. But Seiju discovered that many users were looking for a different type of app, one much more targeted to helping them lose weight, which is, by the way, one of the hardest things in the world for a human being to do. But Seiju and his partner Artem wanted to try to build something that might help. So they designed Noom as a holistic approach to weight loss. It's not a strict diet, but it uses a detailed system for food tracking and incorporates fitness, stress management, and good sleep into the program. It took many years, lots of failure, a few different business models, and even some team mutinies before Noom finally got traction. Today, the app is used by tens of millions of people. And if Noom files for an IPO sometime in the next year or so, which it's been hinting at, it could reach a market cap of around $10 billion. All of which might surprise you when you hear how Seiju Jong got to this point. He arrived in New York City from Korea in 2005. He was in his mid-20s, and he knew almost no one. But he had a little bit of money saved from his first business, which was such a different type of business from Noom that I don't even want to give it away just yet. What I can tell you is that Seiju arrived in New York open and earnest and ready to learn, and was lucky enough to meet his business partner, Artem, pretty much by chance. Seiju grew up in Yosu, a small fishing town in South Korea. His dad was an OBGYN, and his mom trained to be a professional violinist. And when Seiju was growing up, he felt an extreme pressure to succeed. You know, in America, people speak about tiger mom, tiger, something like that, right? I would say Korea is kind of tiger society, tiger parent, tiger uh, teacher, Mm. I would say. Let me give you an example. You will not believe this, but I will tell you exactly my memory. In my high school, I went to school by 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I came home 10.45 p.m. Wow. Yes. Wow. Believe me. It was and, and it was about achievement, right? Because I guess yes. achievement means is a status symbol. Correct. Very important. Um, taking an example like SAT test in South Korea is very important. 
And that is a major parameter to measure how good student you are from college. Yeah. And that test is designed that every single student take an exam at the same day, at the same time, and same test. Mm. I mean, I still don't get it, kind of. If you are unwell yeah. that day for some reason, stomach ache, or if you are just sick, you are screwed. It's, it's your wow. business that you, you did not manage your condition well. Because they give the yeah. exact time, exact date for an entire class in, out of entire nation is taking an exam at the same time. You'll be surprised. Even the airport stopped at the service because they want to make sure <laughs> the student can pay attention during the test. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it was very important to you to be a good student, to, be a, to succeed academically. Is that true? 100% yes. My family background has a little story that our family, uh, we, we run the hospital together. My uncles are doctors and uh, my aunts are all pharmacists. So the, the general theme of Jung family is like we have to produce more doctors. So the pressure was like extra, to be honest. So it was your intention to become a doctor? That was what your goal was? It was a preset, to be honest, guy. It was, it was preset. preset. Yeah. I, I didn't even hmm. have a thought about becoming a non-doctor career in my life. And, I mean, eventually you had to take those exams. How did you do? I was a good student, I would say. And um, I, I studied hard. And uh, the, <laughs> I call that judgment day. The day arrived and I took an exam. <laughs> and I, I did my best and was waiting for the result. And the result came out just like a little shy to be guaranteed to, to go like a medical school because all the good students go to medical school. So I was like, okay, we'll see. It was a little like shy number, we'll see, but I failed. So I couldn't get into medical college. Mm. I vividly remember that I cried so hard. Like I closed the door and because it's so embarrassing, it's stupid. It has to be really top of the top and I was okay. So I was like, oh, God, uh, how can I deliver this news to my parent, right? And I just, I, I, I felt exactly, and I still vividly remember that that day, the afternoon, you know, the sun looked very gray, and then the, the world was kind of really, like, coming down. That's how I felt, because I failed. <laughs> that's, the, mm. that's the outcome. <laughs> um, you did end up going to college. Right. You actually studied electrical engineering, right? Correct. I did. And I guess at some point you, we sh- I should mention this, you grew up uh-huh. obsessed with uh-huh. heavy metal, like hardcore heavy metal, mostly American heavy metal? Yeah, American, also European, both. I mean, whatever heavy metal music, like, yeah, yes. Like Megadeth or even beyond Megadeth? Oh, yeah, Megadeth is a good start, I would say. Megadeth, <laughs> Metallica is a good start. I recommend you. I mean, all the listeners, by the way, they are still yeah. very good, and uh, their yeah. albums are great, still amazing. But that was just like dipping your toe. You're talking about, like, extreme yeah. hardcore metal. Exactly. It's just like a yeah. heavy metal 101 is a Megadeth, right? And then, yeah. and then enter into a deeper level, like death metal, like black metal. <laughs> like progress metal all the metals like you can oh imagine you don't want to even you know like it's intense fast and like you know crazy guitar riff that's my music <laughs> so how did that happen how did you get into like hardcore heavy metal 
Well, one day I listen, you can accidentally listen to some like heavy metal music from radio station,、mm-hmm. and I caught that and asked my sister, "Hey, sister, what was that music?" Oh, it's called a、uh, hard rock in America. Says you, hard rock, and I went to the record store and then asked,、um, "I want to buy a hard rock music," and he gave me the Metallica, <laughs> and that was the beginning、wow. when I was like nine. <laughs> wow, I'm trying to imagine you in your bedroom at your home in.、Right. The town where you grew up in Korea, right, right. with a mother who was like a semi-professional、right. classical violinist,、right. with heavy metal music bla- blaring out of your room. Like,、oh、what did、God. they say? They just laughed at me. That's the part I really, <laughs> really appreciate my parent. That they both were extremely generous. They did not、yeah. judge me badly. My father never asked why do you like it. My father just was like, "You like the music, and Dad is so good." And I one day I remember clearly just the kind of gift that I brought him to my room and I played Pantera. You know Pantera? Yeah,、It's, Pantera. And、uh, yeah. he actually listened to the Pantera music with me, and I said, "Dad, this is like so good. Don't you think?" And my dad said, "Yeah, it's very energetic, right? And let's go and、uh, have some dinner, <laughs> just like that." <laughs> They respect my、uh, hobby, I would say. So you're in college. You you were really into heavy metal music. I bring this up because I guess when you were like 19, you kind of started a, like a heavy metal record label mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Korea. What what was that? What was that label? So I entered the school and I studied electrical engineering because it looks very safe choice, right? In terms、yeah. of career growth, and、uh, Korea is kind of known for you know a lot of good like the the tech company like Samsung, LG, but.、Um, I'll be honest. From day one, I was like, "Why am I here?" That's that's all、yeah. day long. I was thinking. I couldn't pay attention to orientation、uh, the program at school, and I was like, completely lost, guy. I was completely <laughs> lost from like, why am I waking up and where am I going to school and class? And I was shocked how much I have to study about like advanced physics and、uh, magnetic field, all that stuff. And I was like, "Oh、yeah. my god, am I going to study this?" And also like, what if I become a bad student? I may have a chance to go to Samsung Electronics, which is the best case outcome. It's just like, oh my god,、yeah. my life is like doomed. <laughs> That's how I felt. <laughs> so ba- basically, you you you're thinking like, I don't want to end up working at a place like Samsung because that would just be a miserable life. Right. And, and you were c- clearly miserable at school. Right. Right. And and I'm assuming you were probably listening to a lot of heavy metal music around this time. Yeah.、Um, but how did how did the record label come about? What What got you started with that? So, I got into more. I mean, because I was, I went to school in Seoul, right? So I was like, kind of like forced to be independent. So I received a like ultimate like freedom, kind of. Right. <laughs> so I listened to metal more music. I had expectation if I come to Seoul, which is kind of like the city in my world. I can have easy access to have metal music, which was very difficult to purchase from Yosu, where I grew up. Because I, by the time I was already listening beyond Metallica, yeah, I was listening to like death metal from like、yeah. Philadelphia. Nobody care. But I want to listen that. I have to <laughs> buy from like some importing, you know, record record studio, and it's just hard. Yeah, remember those days, CD and cassette tape that you have to purchase, not a streaming service. Right, of course. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> before Spotify, you. Oh yeah. Right, you'd go and and buy your music at a physical store. Yep. And, and I'm assuming that in Korea there probably wasn't like a like a heavy metal record store on every street corner. Exactly. So, so you would probably have to have to make a special trip to to wherever that store、exactly. was, right? Exactly. So I I took a like 45 minutes away and got there finally, and then 
do we have that album for like a nice, it's kind of some Norwegian band, like a demo burger. Again, yeah, I don't have it. But you told me that like one hour you have it. So that's why I came. Sold out. And I was like, that's it? And, yeah. And uh, when can I get it? Uh, probably like another month or two months. Give it a try a month later, kid. And then they treat me like a bad. And I was uh, so mad about this attitude. And then I was in deep thinking on the way back. And I found the company the next day. It's called Buy Hard. <laughs> but just to be clear, you were not, you were, it wasn't like a studio where you recorded mm-hmm. a death metal bands, like Korean death metal bands. It was basically a way to import records from right. the U.S. and Europe in, a, cheap, in a, a cheaper way. Correct. So I did it as a Buy Hard distribution first. And then it right. evolved as by the production. So the answer is the, uh, uh, no, but yes. How did the business do? Because I don't think it lasted very long, right? Uh, yeah, I have a personal story that it didn't last that long, but it was quite successful in the beginning, to be honest. I was lucky that in 1999, the dot-com arrived. The dot-com, yeah. Right. So it was perfect time that I could convert that. I didn't need to have a retail space. I could start online. And my okay. best friend was like computer uh, nerd, and um, I asked him, can you do a dot-com? It's no problem. So He made a website for you. Oh, yeah, 100%, yes. Yes. And how did you, I mean, did you need any money to start Buy Hard Productions or was it just like? Absolutely. So when I started, I needed like around like 3,000 grand I had in my bank. Yep. Because that money yep. was like petty cash I received since elementary school. So yes. where were you selling? You And you were selling entirely through the website? You were selling yeah, music website, the website? Yeah, website. Website to wow. have metal listeners in South Korea. And you know what? Yes, heavy metal music will never become like major music. I get that. Yeah. But once you are into heavy metal music, brother, sister, you, you love it. You are there. It's a tri- it's a tribe. It oh is my a, god! It, it was a tribe. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, you I'm not part there. of the tribe, but I know I recognize <laughs> the tribe. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so you you and and so what happened? I mean, you're getting people buying a these ton. records. Why didn't the business uh, continue? Um, so what happened was, so the business growing, grew really fast. And I got a call from my mom one day. And, um, you know, like, my mom's voice was kind of like, not normal. I, I can tell something wrong. Hmm. She hmm. goes like, Seju, uh, we need to have you now. And um, we are going to have some uh, family discussion. And I was like, oh, my God, mom, don't tell me hmm. it's about the health, right? Is that about health hmm. about you or that? And my mom just silent but I can't hear from the phone that she was crying and I was <laughs> like oh man really mom really and then I, I took a train back to Yosu um, it took seven hours to get there uh, it was the mm. longest travel ever I had like you know the feeling of the anxiety yeah. like yeah. mom just tell me what's going on here I mean you didn't uh, know what was going on no, you just knew that no. there was a family discussion that you had to yeah. go home for mom wanted to have a discussion you know together and my yeah. sister was already there, and um, uh, as usual, my father was in the center of the like, dinner table, and my father um, laid out what happened and what's going to happen. So he basically told us that he got a lung cancer, terminal lung cancer, that stage four, mm. very serious condition that as a doctor, he knows what's going to happen, and not much time left. Um, the wow. message was very, um, he delivered that very calmly. He didn't set the false expectation nor he didn't give mm. up. He said, so this is very unfortunate, but I'm going to engage with this plan, that plan. He laid out the plans with the chemotherapy, but it was not easy to digest the information. Very difficult. Mm. <sighs> um, 
I was into very like I really loved. Finally, like I could tell my dad like, finally I found my direction. Dad, I think yeah. I have a, you know, talent in entrepreneurship. All that, right? And um, I I felt like dad, I, I was derailed, but now I'm on track. That's how I felt. But when I heard that, I felt like it's too early to receive the message. I I need you to be there so I can show you, you know, and. Um, it was very difficult, very difficult. You were, um, I think your dad um, told you he had about six months. Right. And um, he did survive, I think, for almost a little bit more than a year. Yeah. Um, you were really close with your dad. Mm-hmm. Right? And he was a young man. He was only 51. Mm-hmm. You were, I think, 21 at the time of his death. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even imagine, Seiju, how difficult that was. Mm-hmm. Difficult. I also realized now I'm like basically my father's departure and uh, you know the the last month uh, with him was a precious gift to me and to my family, and uh, um, that event completely changed the way I view the world still today. Yeah. You um, I I mean as I say you were this was this was 2002. You were young. You were 21. Mm-hmm. Um. And in Korea, mm-hmm. uh, I think all young men must serve in mm-hmm. the military for a period of time. Mm-hmm. You have to do your national service. Mm-hmm. And it was around that time where you also mm-hmm. began your military service. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder in a strange way if that, you know, if that helped you mm-hmm. after your father's death by giving you something to focus on or, or if it was hard. I mean... Your dad passes away, and, and you start your military service. Um, my military experience was very invaluable to me and extremely helpful to me at this moment. What happened was after my father passed away, two years after, my senior member at um, my pod. This was like your captain of your, yes. of your platoon? or Yes. Yeah. And he yelled at me, and actually he slapped me on my face. He said, wow. and went, hey, Seiju, two years stop mourning your dad is gone you gotta wake up wow. wake up and I asked back is that that long yeah two years I think that's enough don't you think son and I was like mm. yeah two years and then I changed my perspective of thinking on that event of the death of my father and then I paid attention if he is alive what would he care at this moment? And the an answer became very clear. Because before he passed away, he said, Seiju, my only departure will make you very strong. Very strong. That's what he said. You are sad today, but you'll become very strong. Like, the bird know how to fly. Birds that get out from the nest sooner, they can learn how to fly faster. And you are basically doing that right now. I'm kicking you out of nest. So do not take this event too bad. That's what he said. And he goes, I am sad personally because I know you have a great potential and you will achieve a success. And that story, I cannot be there. I cannot watch. So I just realized it is true. I'm here with some talent, but I have more. And I'm, I, I don't know what else I can do better, and I should optimize and learn so I can become a better person. Hmm. So I guess th- this is around 
2005, and, and after your, your time in the Army, you decide to come to move to the U.S., to, to New York. Right. Um, and I guess, I guess you get a student visa to come here so you can study at a music college in New York. But right. you were, I think you were still thinking about keeping your business going or, or doing something with, with that business, right? Oh, yeah, of course. I figured my uh, path of being an entrepreneur from buy hard distribution and production, and I was looking for how I can scale that up and do better and learn. So, yeah, 100%. And so when you arrived to New York, did you, mm -hmm. did you know anybody there? No one. No single human. No. Mm. So when I left Korea, my mom, I told my mom, mom. I figure from Byheart production, at first I made more than a million dollars, mom. Byheart did over a million dollars in revenue. Yes. And I know how to make money. I think I will not die out of a starving. I will <laughs> do it again. And, and I, what helped me to, once I cracked a million dollar revenue, that really changed the way I see the money. You thought, because you realized that you could do this. I mean, you you know, Correct. this was a very specialized world, right? It was heavy right. metal, death metal, but like you were this center of the e-commerce world for, in Korea. So Correct. All right. So you go, so you get to New York, you know nobody. Nobody. You've got some cash with mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how much you had with you? Yeah, I remember that I brought like $5,000. 5000 um, Below $5,000, actually. Um, okay. And the reason is I gave all my money to my mom, the what I made from Pi Heart, and I reset myself again. To support again. her, I guess. Of your, course. Your dad wasn't, was obviously not, not around. So you get to New York. Mm -hmm. Do, I mean, it is a big city, but you were, you were by yourself right. in a country where, you know, you were – it was not your native language. You didn't right, know anyone. Right, right. So – I settled in North Massapequa. North Massapequa in Long Island. Yeah, how do you know that? You know, I, I got my geography down, but you're saying you. So you didn't even move to the city. You moved to North Massapequa, which is like, how, how come you settled there? Was it was it just cheap? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I got you. Uh, were you? Did, did you feel lonely? I was completely lonely. Really, I was yeah. lonely. I even spent like forty minutes with Sprint. The customer support center because I was lonely sometimes. I want to learn English. But you would you would spend at the customer support center for just speaking to human. Oh, on the phone. Yeah, Sprint. You would call the customer service people at Sprint because I'm wow. Yeah, I'm not. I'm wow, not. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm. I'm. I'm feeling it. I, I did it. I wish I was there. I would. I would. I would have hung out with you. So you moved <laughs> all the way to New York City only yeah. to live in North Massapequa. Oh, yeah. No disrespect to people in North Massapequa, but that's not. It's not living the dream. Not living the dream. <laughs> not really. Of, of moving to New York City. But that's how I started. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Okay. And, and from from what I from what I've read, not that long after you got to the U.S. to to New York, mm -hmm. you got an, an invitation to a party, right, where you would meet somebody really important, somebody who would who would eventually factor into your future here. And oh my God, yes. And I guess how this happened is that like I read like some distant relative of yours who was a student at Princeton invited you to a get together in New York with with a, a bunch of her friends. Right. So they were looking for a bar. And by the way, they called themselves like, we are Princeton University, like eating club, like alumni. They were one of the eating clubs together. These are like these, they're, they're like kind of like 
residence hall. Exactly, really. can yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it was all their Princeton, all their Princeton friends. 100%. I'm the I'm the only okay. non-Princeton and who don't even speak English wow. properly. So I was kind of an odd guy. <laughs> and I was invited. And they were like very nerdy Princeton guys, right? And they were looking for, oh, we should explore New York City because we are in New York. We should not just go to bar. And, yeah. and I told them, hey, guys, I'm going to take care of you because that's how it works in Korea. And I took them to Korean bar. <laughs> oh, man. So you guys are hanging out uh, on the oh, town. Yeah. Right. And there's a guy there named Artem. Yep. Um, and he uh, was also a, an alumni, a Princeton alumni. Exactly. Artem was um, one of the group members at there. He studied uh, computer science at there. Yep. Artem Petakov. And... I guess at this hanging out, like you and Artem kind of hit it off. You, you started talking. What did you talk about? What I mean, how come the two of you hit it off? So what happened was I was sitting with like a complete Prince alumni people, right? And uh, mm. they would not give me any like interest to pay attention to this random guy, right? And I was yeah. trying to participate this like... You know, a lot of random topic here and there, that table, here table, and I was trying to get lost. But I was like, oh, I want to know about this guy, but I cannot get into. And Artem, right. he paid attention. I was like, wow, hmm. this man has a pretty good empathy to, like me, like immigrant and nobody. Artem, I think he is the, he's the child of Ukrainian immigrants, or maybe he even came to, to the U.S. Exactly, from Ukraine as a, as a child. Yeah. Oh, my God. You said very well. Yes. And what were you... You were saying, oh, I've come here from Korea, and I, yep. I think I want to try yep. to start a business. Yep. Yep. That's the basic wow. high-level comment that I had, which nobody actually cared, kind of. Like, okay. Yeah. And But he actually, he was curious about And I got his email. And that night, train back to, it take a one hour, 20 minute, back to North yeah. Peak, where I came back. That night, I wrote a letter to him, email. And I received email back the next day. I still remember. I said, the first line was, wow, Siju, what a great email. I never have ever received this kind of such a great kind email. Hmm. And I suggested to him, I think we should meet. And he agreed. And he came to North Massapequa, not New York City, the next day. Wow. So we we met and we had a dinner and then we were uh, speaking until 4 a.m. that day. Wow. And I learned about his background as a Ukraine and uh, his uh, immigrant life, all that. So I realized, oh, wow, probably that also helped him to understand my struggles and he has empathy. So we had a great conversation. Yes. What was, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, because you were still just learning English. Correct. Was it hard for you? It must have been hard for you. Oh, still today. It's very hard for me. Yeah. By then, mega difficult guy. Mega. Yeah. But um, he really paid attention, not the fluence of English, but he paid attention to my context and the value, yeah. which I appreciate. Um, what was he doing at the time? What was his job he was at the te- time? He was tech lead at uh, Google Map in New York City office. Wow. So he, this, so this guy was a – I mean, not only did you meet somebody who was nice, but you met somebody who was a software developer. Which is, exactly. Which is pretty great. Right, um, right, right. And, and um, what were you doing at the time? I mean, were you – you know, you were on a three-month visa, but you, or you were on a student visa. Correct. You were on a student visa. Correct. So were you going to classes at that music school on, on Long Island? Yeah, I went to school in the morning. and afternoon, mm-hmm. I had a lot of general freedom. And then I was hustling, and I was trying to figure the business extension of my buy heart. But I didn't want to do metal, heavy metal business anymore because, yep. you know, how many heavy metal 
listeners out there in Korea, while the Korea is a small market. So I lost the interest to continue to do the business. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for more. And also, when my father passed away, he left a very big question, such as like, he always told patients to make sure that they uh, have a healthy lifestyle. But like, majority of patients developed the, the conditions, and he has to do, in other words, sick care management. Sick care management. Right. So he left a very big question to me that why, while the society is pointing me out and respect me as a healthcare leader, I became a sick mm. care management leader. In other words, he was saying, why are we focused on when people, why are we focused on treating people after they're sick rather than exactly. preventing them from getting sick in the first place? Exactly. So that was a big question. And uh, this kind of comment I made and shared with Artem by then. Artem became my best and brother level friend. So we hung out at least twice or three times per week. That much we were. A week. And he was, you were going into New York or he was coming to yeah. Long Island. You really were like, you guys were bonding. You were really becoming friends. Oh my God. He, I mean, we are like that. We are like, yeah, super. Well, so I shared that, right? And he picked that off the story. Yeah. And um, he gave me the book. It's called Good to Great. And Good to Great. Goes, yeah. Jim Collins. Yeah. Jim Collins, sure. exactly, yeah. guys. So mm-hmm. Artem told me that, Seiju, this book probably give you some answer about the general question about the business, being an entrepreneur, what is enterprise, why. This may give you an answer. And I really liked the way Artem uh, told me that, and I read that book, and I was like, I awaken like, wow. All right, so he's working at Google. He's mm-hmm. an engineer there. It was a great job. You are kind of trying to figure out what you wanted to do. I mm-hmm. mean, clearly Artem is, is a guy that you're becoming close with and you can see in him somebody who you can start a business with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the ideas that you start to think about that you might be able to do? So Artem and I, we both had a lot of over six months of uh, brainstorming, six months. We went to park, we sat down, we write down a lot and ideas, and then two sectors came. First, education. Second, healthcare. And then we decided to, we need to tackle the healthcare. And from what I understand, you were actually working out of Artem's apartment in New York while he was at work at Google during the day, right? Yes. I wanted to be motivated, so I came to yeah. uh, all in the morning, Artem and I, and Artem headed to Google, and I was working at Artem's apartment, and uh, often I stopped by lunch at Google's office, and I had a free lunch, and... Um, oh, because they have free food. Correct. You just grab correct. some free sandwiches. Correct. I want to say sorry to Google smart, for that. Yeah. They can afford the free sandwiches. Exactly. Money. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I came back again, and I was working in the afternoon, and Artem... As soon as he finished his work and he bring an extra sandwich from a Google cafeteria leftover, and we eat that dinner, and uh, we work until like uh, midnight or 1 a.m. every night, including weekend. This is like 2006, 2007. Mm -hmm. You're talking about – you both agree that there's something to do with health, health care. 100 percent, yes. And so I guess initially your idea was let's do something around exercise, getting – you know, motivating people to exercise. Right, right, And right. I guess you guys kind of came up with this idea to start something called Work Smart Labs, which sounds really great. It sounds like a big office with a bunch of scientists, <laughs> but really it was just an idea in your head, right? right. Work Smart Labs. Right, right, right. And what was what was the original idea that you guys had? So Artem sold these uh, shares 
to sponsor the ideas, and I also I use all my money that I uh, saved. And then we launched the Work Smart Labs Inc. And we instantly thought we need to help our users can do more better fitness. We need At the gym. Yeah, gym and mm-hmm. exercise more. So our first prototype was interactive screen with a stationary bike that you can touch the screen, you can follow the the guide from the screen, all that. You can copy with the others, something like that. So it's a very similar product you can imagine today. So that was our first, very first prototype. Yes. So you would be on a stationary bike. There'd be a screen. From what mm-hmm. I understand, it was like you uh, you are like pedaling along a rainbow Correct. and catching butterflies. Correct. So so you guys built a prototype. You built this thing. We did it, and uh, it was quite successful from our beta test. How, how did you build it with such limited funds? I mean, was it because it sounds complicated and expensive? But I guess it is. It, it was. Uh, it was. It was. But Artem also brought these high school uh, friends who was a genius of genius in MIT. And then we also adopted some help from Princeton Network friends that who is very advanced in like uh, mechanical engineering so using all the sensors. So we were able to convert the stationary bike from gym, the boring stationary bike to a smarter bike, right? And nowadays, like there's a Peloton, Peloton products like that, competitor. So we basically built that ideas and uh, we launched that in um, 2007. It was a Peloton competitor. Obviously, Peloton didn't exist, but it was a... So so your idea was, we're going to gamify Correct. Exercise starting mm-hmm. with a stationary bike, right? And uh, and but and did you get did presumably you had to test this out at a gym, right? So we hustled and um, found a gym in uh, Queens, and they allow us to install and test it out with uh, their members. And the usage was like outstanding compared to the other generic stationary bike. So we were very excited about that idea. And with the initial prototype and success, we thought we can now raise capital. And we yeah. um, <laughs> and we try. We try to raise capital for years and hmm. years. Nobody wanted to get involved in this because nope. this is, and by the way, this is the story, this is a problem Peloton had. Investors probably said, well, so you're going to manufacture the hardware mm. and the software mm-hmm. and and by the way, how big is this market, exactly. right? If you're just sending, selling to gyms, mm-hmm. presumably that was what they were asking you. Mm-hmm. So you, it was clear to you that when investors did not, were not interested in this, Correct. maybe you were not on the right path. Maybe your idea wasn't the right idea to pursue. So Artem and I, we completely believe in that direction, right? But yeah. after two years of straight, like getting, getting a no from all the NG yeah. investors or VCs or even friends, it became clear. And um, the reality was, Guy, that we didn't have much money left in the bank. I remember we had like $2,700. And yeah. I, was, I had a very hard time myself. And I returned to our one-bedroom office during the summer. I remember we had a one tiny AC and super hot. Uh, so we were all like wearing only the, the underwear, everybody, like so hot because it was so hot yes yeah. I'm not yeah everyone just wear, wearing the underwear and there's a fan just like one fan and one tiny AC was like and struggling to blow out the cold air because it's not cold anymore somehow even like one of the engineer had like the towel around his neck because he was sweating too much and I yeah I had a hard time not cry because I felt so bad when we come back 
how a sputtering idea gets revamped until it eventually becomes Noom. And why, just as the company starts to take off, a lot of people who work there decide to walk out. Stay with us. I'm Guy Raz, and you're listening to How I Built This. As a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long, and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. Isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions for you and your customers. LinkedIn Ads allow you to build the right relationships, drive results, and reach your customers in a respectful environment. You'll be able to drive results with targeting and measurement tools built specifically for B2B. In technology, LinkedIn generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social media platforms. I've talked to hundreds of founders and business leaders every day on this show, and I've learned that LinkedIn has been vital to the growth of their companies. It helps them build relationships with customers and get direct access to thousands of decision makers. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash built this to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash built this. Terms and conditions apply. Our friends at Corient provide wealth management services centered around you. And you know what? Corient's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Corient can help high achievers just like you preserve your wealth and provide for the people, causes, and communities you care about. Corient has extensive knowledge across the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management. They're one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and they have deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations, teams that put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. On the rare day when I'm not doing an interview, I definitely spend my time taking a long walk. It's nice to have a little downtime, but not all of our listeners are so lucky. If you're a business owner or a hiring manager, you likely work around the clock. How can you get help, at least help finding people with the right skills for your open roles? ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com built. ZipRecruiter's technology finds and sends highly qualified candidates for your position right to your inbox. And if you see a candidate you really like, it's easy to send them a personal invitation. So take a break from hiring and let ZipRecruiter help. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash built. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-U-I-L-T. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, welcome back to How I Built This. I'm Guy Raz. So... It's 2008, and after two years of failing to raise capital for their stationary bike, Seiju and Artem are almost out of cash. But fortunately, Artem and some friends who are helping out also work at Google for their day jobs, and that 
leads to a new idea for an app. Because they were working for Google by the time, they heard Google is responding on iTunes Store, the Android app store. So we had a meeting again. Guys, we need to drop this hardware thing. We need to do what we are good at, which is software development, and we can move fast. And that was the day that we are going to all-in application business. And that's how we debuted Cardio Trainer. As soon as the App Store opened, we were one of the first application was available at the store. For the Android phones? Yes. The Android yes. App Store? Yes. And, and this was called this is called a Cardio Trainer? Yes. And the app was, from what I understand, it was designed to track run running and bike rides. So what I mean, this was kind of pre Strava, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. But it like was that. sort of mm-hmm. like a a, a, a proto Strava, if you will, a exactly. little bit, right? Yes, that was designed for like using GPS and accelerometer to monitor cycling and running over mobile. Um, that was our product. And people, people were using Fitbits already, and that was out there. But now you could just put the app on the phone, and it could more or less do a version of the same thing. That's right, Guy. And, and by the way, to finance that app, mm-hmm. I guess the biggest cost was the engineers, right? Mm-hmm. But everybody was, presumably, they were all kind of working for nothing. Exactly. And also, we were well-funded by, they were all working for Google. And then once right. we realized this is actually working, and we became number one at the market, and they all start working for Google, and they convert to full time. I, th- I guess it was adopted by lots of people. I think within eight months, by eight months, it was like the top most downloaded fitness app. We were uh, yep. in, in and- on Android. We, yeah, we we received like five million downloads within six months. By then, mm. and by the time that was a break, like record breaking number, yeah. because the smartphone was not adopted that many. But as soon as, basically, if you buy Android phone then you have our product almost. Oh, wow. But but still not making money from it because no. it was free. Yeah, exactly. That's how we actually received the first ever venture capital money too because we became the known app maker at fitness category. I got you. Okay, so, so, so this is the point where you get some VC money so you can keep kind of plugging away at this thing, right, this, this cardio trainer. Yes. And then we need to figure out what is our business, right? And then we launched the premium services that people can buy extra features, all that. Um, the conversion was not bad, but not great neither. And bigger problem was it did not answer our promise. The promise is our mission that are we helping our users get better in terms of overall health? That bothers us mm. more than that we are not making money enough. Do you see? It bothered you more that people were, were not actually really engaging with it? People engaged a lot. The problem is we, we reviewed our data, and then we were kind of like surprised. Majority of our users, 90% plus more, our users are not using the major features, which is tracking their running or um, the uh, cycling. They are actually using our product for parameters. They were counting their steps that like a like a Fitbit. Yes. We were like, we were all like shocked. Why are you not using our main uh, features? This is designed for... Because they weren't cyclists or runners, probably. They are not. Yes, you're right, guy. But they, there's a massive adoption of our product, right? So we asked, yeah. why are you using our product then for step counting? Why, are you doing, why do you need to count your step? And majority of users answered because they want to lose weight. 
that was a real like aha moment for us. Mm-hmm. And this insight that mm-hmm. that the users, many of the users, were just using it to count steps because they wanted to lose weight, inspired the team to come up with a, a second app, which mm-hmm. which was a which I guess was a calorie counting app that you called Calorific. Correct. So we we made this was a big decision for us because we were literally number one at a fitness uh, health category in Android market for three years straight, and uh, we were kind of like the company for fitness. But um, we are in the very early stage by then. Early right. stage means we were looking for what is a product market fit that can deliver long-lasting uh, business. Being so, number, in other words, being number one was mm-hmm. great, but you knew that that didn't necessarily tell you that it was going to be number one for ten years. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. From mm-hmm. what I read, something in the story, and I'm not sure if it's ap- apocryphal or not, that basically at that moment, this is around 2010, you guys, the founders, started to feel pressure to optimize for revenue first rather than <laughs> results. Is that is that is there is there truth to that story? Yes, it's true, and it's a fair right. Uh, look, investors, their job is. <laughs> They need to make sure their their portfolios are returning the money. And yeah. we told our investors, we are going to retire a color trainer and we'll we'll build a new product, which is color county product, colorific. And and I remember by the time our investors were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we had a very intense conversation. Yeah. Because they what they didn't want you to retire the cardio trainer? They thought that was the promising app? At least, I mean, we were number one. Literally, we were yeah. number one at fitness and health category. So, um, we but we were bold enough that we said we are going to retire the product. We will we will stop providing the service for the further. We will we will retire it. Why wouldn't you just transform the product to the calorie counting to calorific instead of creating a brand new app? Why wouldn't you just change the features within the app? You already had the downloads. I think you're right, and I was wrong. Yeah, I should have been there. <laughs> I should have been there saying, what are you doing? You've got f- ten, 5 million uh, downloads of this thing. You want to start a brand new app and, and try to attract 5 million people from the, the start? That's hard. <laughs> Where were you guy by then? We needed you by then. <laughs> uh, all right, so a brand new app, and you sunset the cardio trainer we app. Did. Which was, we did. We sunset. Which very, which, and, and did people adopt the Calorific a- app? Did, did that have the same adoption rate? We literally launched the Calorific with no marketing budget. We just we we were probably naive by then. We launched the product. We firmly believe that if the product is good, people will somehow just download it. And matter of fact, the Calorific actually uh, received a ton of downloads. We became a top mm-hmm. downloaded uh, application within three months right after we wow. launched. So we again proved that yeah. we know how to make an app, but we need to figure out like, what is this then. How can we use technology to help population health? And then it comes up, you know what? Rather we have a you know, belief or uh, try this way, that way, it must be holistic way approach. That was the new like aha moment over calorific. We have mm. to build a product is approaching in holistic way to end users. So we again sunset the calorific. And then we put together holistic approach service in 2014. That was a beginning of like, we need to help our users learn about these four major pillars. 
nutrition, fitness, stress management, and sleep. And、mm. behavior change is very powerful. That was the beginning of like aha moment for us, and we launched in 2014. All right, so you begin. To really dive into this, and one of the things that you guys managed, because you, ch- I should mention, you changed your name to Noom, so you went from WorkSmart Lab to to、mm-hmm. Noom, and Noom, I didn't, I, I should have known this. I felt like such a bozo when I didn't realize it. It's just Moon backwards. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> It's all good. A lot of people ask like, "Why Noom?" and I go like, "Moon backward." And they're, "Oh, I see." But the deeper meaning of moon, why the moon? Because we see Noom's approach is we are here to support our usual lifetime, and behavior change and also healthy lifestyle is a journey. We get that. And night, when we get lost, we look up to reorient ourselves, and the moon is right there. We want to be the moon for our users. The problem is we ca- we could not trademark moon, so that's why we、uh, flip around the noom and we became noom. So he- here's here's what I'm wondering about, right? I mean, you're talking about an age-old challenge. I mean, th- this is like in, in in all of human history, the sort of cracking the code of weight loss. Let's just be clear; it hasn't been cracked, right? I mean,、mm-hmm. it's like. There are all kinds of things that we haven't cracked. This addiction, you know, there, we know more about it, but it's a much, much bigger challenge today. You know,、mm-hmm. um, weight loss. So you are entering. You guys decide to enter the most challenge, one of the most challenging spaces, because、mm-hmm. there's no, even now, there's no simple answer. There's no button you can push and say, push this button, you will lose weight. And、mm-hmm. so, I just wonder the conversations you guys were having. I mean. You you keep saying you were naive, but I mean, you guys were naive to think that you could maybe push this, you know, push this、mm-hmm. huge challenge、mm-hmm. a little farther. So, the problem is, it's simply difficult to adopt healthy lifestyle if you don't have a good guidance. And also, changing behavior is powerful, yet it is difficult. That is why that we invite. Our people who join Noom, that we ask, are you fully motivated and com- you have a conviction, full conviction to stick with a mission and deliver? Because we believe we can provide better behavior changing program. A lot of our users are exposed to either chronic conditions. Let's talk about grand level. Yeah, USA, forty five percent of adults are already. Diagnose at least one chronic conditions. Forty-five percent of U.S. adults have one chronic condition. So that might be hypertension or、yes. diabetes or、Correct. or some other condition. Correct. And seventy-two、mm-hmm. percent of American adults are either obese or overweight. So、yeah. we get a great inspiration from the good school. Good school means we are empathetic teachers. We welcome the student. Who want to learn? We understand where they are. We don't judge how good, how bad they are. Yeah. Some students are very introvert. Some student needs extra motivation. Some student、mm-hmm. student needs like a very hold accountable.、Yeah. Some students do not want that because they feel like policing about by the teachers, and they in in it actually can actually hurt the motivation. So it's just simply difficult to define 
how human behave about the weight because everyone has different background and different stage of where they are. Yeah. A lot of our users told us that weight loss is so difficult and they failed in the past. It built a very sad and also stigmatized experience. Yourself, you feel like you're just constantly defeated. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. very difficult. Right. The reason why we choose weight management is because weight is a, one of the greatest barometer over over your health. I want to jump in and ask you. I I mean, look, there is no question that people who are overweight can have some impact on their health conditions, right? Mm-hmm. If they change their diets and their exercise regimen. We know that. That's a fact. And and it's not to take away the personal responsibility side of it. But we also know that there are significant genetic factors involved, mm-hmm. that, that there are people who are just genetically more predisposed to retain weight, mm-hmm. to increase their weight. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter what they eat. It doesn't matter if they eat, you know, more or less the same foods as somebody who is significantly, Correct. Uh, you know, lighter than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, just genetically, their body processes and mm-hmm. converts that food into fat in different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So, and again, it's not to say that people can't have an impact, but for for a significant portion of the population, it's it doesn't matter how how hard they work, right? I mean, it's it's just going to be almost impossible. Well, that's why we build the muscles by approaching behavior change, help our users to understand how to read their body's signal, how to read their mental signal, and then build a completely customized foundation start from there. We firmly know one-size-fits-all approach is not working for population health management. That is why technology can do a good job to support our platform. We can be scaled but also customized experience. Mm. Uh, I just want to take a, a moment and, and kind of explain what Noom was at this point in 2014, because I, I know it, it would change a little over time, but in 2014, it was basically a freemium app, right? So if, right. if you joined for free, you could log your food and, and track your calories and, and yep. things like that. Yeah. But yep. there was yep. also a, kind of a, a, like an AI component, right? Like it, like if you if you paid, what, something like 10 bucks a month, you would get computer-assisted coaching. Is that is that more or less right? Yes. But we learned two things. Number one, when users are receiving a good, right guidance, it does work in terms of improved retention, engagement. That way, they get a better outcome. So we learned that, number one. And number two, mm. we also learned there is a glass ceiling with just AI-based service. Right. We cannot... We cannot do better than we hoped. In other words, we tested with a human coach by then. We put the human coach, yeah, and yeah. that version delivered better outcome, and that was this the a, beginning of intervention with human coach. Yes. This is a human coach on video? Uh, we did a video. We did a phone call. We did a chat. All hmm. different type of intervention, and all deliver better results. Yeah. So that helped us to understand Oh, wow. And then we figured probably yes. And actually it became clear. Empathy cannot be made up. Empathy cannot be recreated by computer. 
Yeah. And that is an important component. All right. So one of the things that you you did was、mm. you managed to secure a grant from the National Institutes of Health、mm-hmm. to actually study、mm-hmm. binge eating.、Mm-hmm. Um, and and this was a, a and it was I guess it was like trying to sort of use technology to see if you could figure out、mm-hmm. the connection between binge eating and human psychology. And correct. And tell me tell me what you found out from this. This NIH-funded、uh, study. We learned from doctors at the Mount Sinai Hospital that psychological support is the key to overcome the barrier of、uh, unlock the the healthy lifestyle. So I can say the current version of Noom, the real inception was started in 2014, but we invested another two years to be. Ready with a human coach and psychological component over two years, and then launch that. All right. So you are developing this plan, and at the same time, you're under some significant pressure from some investors, rightfully so, because they're not. It's not clear,、um, you know, what your path to to profitability is. And in 2016, you kind of abandon this freemium model and essentially say. This is gonna, you know, we're to make this work. We're gonna ask people to 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 pay for the app to subscribe. Was that? And and I imagine that there were probably many users who were not happy about that. And you and you had to expect that 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 was gonna happen. We had a moment that we need to put the price price wall. That is the、um, the way we can weed out who are not ready to commit for adopting healthy behavior. And that is the way. Also, as we are a product company, we can actually gather gather higher quality data in order to build a better product. That was the reason、yeah. that we abandoned completely abandoned free features and relaunched the paid version. Comes to Human Coach, but I want to tell you one more thing. Because、yeah. we also didn't have any real business, and because this is a big move, I lost many people、uh, who did not believe in our direction. You lost many investors. No,、uh, investors. Yes, they gave up or they sold out their ownership to really like, really、yeah. like almost none. And I lost many product people by the time people left.、Hmm. Our、right. who did not believe in the direction, they left. They said, "Oh, it, it, another pivot." And this direction says you, I'm not sure. And then we we lost a handful. Uh, product people by then. I remember people because yeah, they were they because they felt like, hey, well, this is always supposed to be a freemium thing. Yes, and yeah, and, and that and happens. People people join companies and they、mm-hmm. and they get mad when those kinds of changes are made. And you know, it's it's a perfectly legitimate view to to hold. But obviously, companies change. They have correct. To and also,、yeah. I I take the blame because you know, guy, sunsetting the product that we create from the nothing, and we have to sunset that. That is. It's actually quite difficult experience.、Mm. It's very emotionally difficult, and、uh, you need to again start a new code writing from scratch, and that's not easy. So、no. I understand that, and that we lost a few key、uh, the product people by then. I remember we had a very quiet dinner together, the the survivors dinner, <laughs> and I told him that. We keep moving on. We 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 are not compromising company mission. This is direction. There's a lot of data that this will work. And thank you for staying with us. And well, see you tomorrow morning. When we come back in just a moment, how tomorrow morning came and Seiju and his team continue to reinvent 
and retool Noom. Stay with us. I'm Guy Raz, and you're listening to How I Built This. C4 Smart Energy is a proud sponsor of How I Built This. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligrams of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins, and zero sugar, It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. They taste great, and they really work, especially after hours of interviews when I'm mentally exhausted and I need a boost to help me get my focus back. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Pick up a case of Smart Energy today at Costco. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, welcome back to How I Built This. I'm Guy Raz. So it's 2016, and Noom has switched its business model from a freemium app to a subscription service. And as a result, Seiju has lost some investors and some employees. I mean, part of me really just wishes you stayed um, selling heavy metal music on the Internet. (laughs) Like part of me is just getting anxious thinking about how complex this is because the value proposition effectively was, look, you may have tried other weight loss programs. We think this one has a better shot at success for you. Now, you're not promising that people are going to lose weight. You can't. That's not possible. You cannot Mm -hmm. promise people that because it's up to them. Mm -hmm. But you can promise them that you will give them let's say, better tools Mm -hmm. to do that. That's still a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your empathy, Guy. I I feel (laughs) and I appreciate the comment. And let me be frank. Probably were, again, naive, but we were so, I don't know. I mean, by the time we were kind of maybe rightly stubborn about it, we we said, like, look, I mean... we, we are very confident we can build a great product software. We, we're kind of like, you know, when you are young, you can't kind of overconfident about your ability that about <laughs> what, you are, what you are good at. So our team was like, we know how to make an app. We know how to make a software. But we have to figure which mountain we will, like, climb up. And it was not a fitness. It was not a just diet. It was not, like, just one thing. And we figured it has to be a holistic approach. And we figured, oh my God, we have to like really crack this Pandora box. And we just opened that up. And when we opened that up, we were kind of like scared at the same time. Holy moly, we just figured if we do better, we can finally deliver healthy outcome and we can shift the paradigm. Preventative approach can be the prime. Right. So... Inevitably, as you grow and as you get, I shouldn't say inevitably, but oftentimes when a company grows and gets bigger, it becomes a bigger target. 
uh, oftentimes that is uh, perfectly justified, right? I mean, you know, you know, Uber is a big company, big target. So is Tesla. And uh, you guys were slapped with some angry users and eventually a lawsuit because when you went to the pay system, some users said, hey, wait, we were charged for a subscription and uh, it was hard to cancel it. You actually addressed this in an open letter to the users. What happened? Was it was it just a, a bungled kind of rollout? What? Why did you get in a situation where people were, you know, lots of people were complaining about this? Well, I mean, first of all, that we care every single user's voice, and um, we are happy to put, uh, put this behind us. Um, this is settled now. This this is now yes. settled. Okay, right. We okay. we are paying attention as this is a consumer-led healthcare company. For sure, we are paying attention to every single voice. We do actually do. And we wanted to make sure that our bar of customer support experience and even like cancellation is like high enough. So matter of fact, we invested a ton into that, uh, the opportunity. And now the 100% self-cancellation is right there. Uh, you can, you have three click, then you can cancel that. We made it very clear that we are right there to support if the program needs to be paused or canceled, mm-hmm. because we are here to support whenever you're ready. So uh, we'll continue to invest into our user experience. It should be good, and we will not compromise the bar. Hmm. All right, so let's talk about what makes this different, right? Like, So, so let's say you're doing you know, Jenny Craig or, or Nutrisystem, right? You, uh, you get, depending on how you sign up, you get meals sent to you, and you heat them up, and there's there's shakes or, or powders or whatever, right? And there, there are all kinds of com- competing um, systems like that, which can work for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, yours is different because yours is about nutrition, fitness, sleep, and behavior, psychology. Yeah, stress right? management. Stress management. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you get those four things. And mm-hmm. on the app, it says, look, we're not a restrictive diet program. We don't, we don't tell you to restrict diet, but you must. I mean, the, the, there's a the simple fact, like the simple math around gaining and losing weight is, you take in a certain number of calories, and mm-hmm. and and if you take fewer calories in, you know, it's going to have a different impact. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the math is kind of clear on that, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, I mean, let's just talk about the food side first. Sure. When you sign up, I know you you sort of categorize food into three colors, right? Um, green, red, and yellow, I believe. Mm-hmm. And green foods are really the ones that you should focus on the most, right? Mm-hmm. Those are like basically vegetables, fruits. Yes. And red is like meats and proteins and fats, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, yellow is like carbohydrates, more or less. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on it. Let's say I want to lose 20 pounds. Let's say mm-hmm. I want to lose 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, does it tell me Mm-hmm. Exactly what to eat at every meal. We don't. We we don't want to present that we dictate what you need to eat. This opposite guy. We don't want to restrict. You need to stick with some specific meal or diet, right? Because that creates you know more stress to our end users, and also yeah. it's very hard to stick with. And look, eating is not just eating. We are human. We are social animal. There's a lot of like the interaction while you have a dinner or a gathering and you eat together. And it's very difficult to stick with one uh, diet and it's not sustainable. So we do not approach that way. We rather guide our users 
build the muscles that can be more cautious and be mindful about what choice they have about intake, what they eat, what they drink, and how they rest, how they burn the calories. The thing is, if we limit our users, there's enough study in our own, from our experience, if we limit our users, do this, not that, they may work for maybe two weeks, but it cannot work more than that. And that creates, as we know, and which makes me sad, yo-yo. Yeah. By the way, we actually wanted to update our food color system from red to uh, orange. The reason is because we use red, people associate red color. That means, oh, this is bad, this is warning, blah, blah. It's not true. Red category food is uh, is we need to pay attention in terms of volume. We don't want to ban any. The thing is you need to be moderated and especially red category uh, food. But Unfortunately, red color coding is sending a wrong signal, um, the message yeah. to our users. So we actually agree to call it to orange. By the time that you listen, <laughs> it might be already orange. So that's the way we adapt. But I want to make sure that we provide the guideline is actionable today. Mm. All right. So you really, the, the kind of the growth and also your ability to attract capital um, mm-hmm. really kind of takes off. Um, I mean, I think you did a, a, a Series C in 2016 and a Series D in 2018. I think over the course of Noom, you've, I think you've raised more than $500 million. Is that, or, or more than that, almost a billion dollars, I think, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, a lot. You've, you've had, tell me about the pandemic. What What happened during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. How did what did it mean? I mean, did it did it did you see a very rapid increase in user adoption during the pandemic? So, COVID nineteen time, what we have learned, a lot of people are they they understood either they had to or media spoke all the time that you need to build immunity better. You need to yeah. pay attention that you are in good health. So. Many people are looking for how to get healthy. Many people too want to have like, I want to manage my chronic condition. I want to have very healthy lifestyle. When I say healthy lifestyle, that means mind and body both. My father was a renowned medical doctor, sacrificed entire his life until he passed away. And the last word he left, why did I help the sick people only? That big questions. And somehow, and luckily, Noom figured, and we are answering that. We did not figure everything, but we are in the path that preventative approach is primary. And we firmly believe this trend will not go away. It will become even stronger and become a primary in healthcare. Yeah. Seiji, when you think about, um, you know, this journey you've taken from from Korea, from South Korea to, you know, your beginnings and sort of e-commerce to coming to the U.S. and meeting Artem and starting this business, uh, which initially was about fitness and and exercise and was going to be like an exercise machine Mm -hmm. uh, to what it is now, Um, you know, a company valued at right now over $10 billion. Um, how, How much of that, of that do you, how much of where you are now do you think has to do with your skill, your hard work, and how much do you think is, is because you got lucky? I think we are extremely lucky, for sure. I think we are extremely lucky, and I cannot express how much we are thankful. Like, angel investors, our people, why we were managing, like, a no, 
no revenue business. The brilliant, smart people stayed with us. And remember the, the night, the survivor's dinner night? It was like, I don't know how I can describe how much, we, how I'm thankful and we are thankful and how much luck we receive. And as we received the luck in the past, we expect if we continue to stick with our mission and do good job, I believe that we, we shall receive more luck as we deserve in the future. But, you know, we don't run the business based on the luck. We, we work hard. And when the luck arrives, then we will be grateful. That's Seiju Jung, CEO of Noom. His co-founder, Artem Petikov, is the president of the company. By the way, one of Seiju's preferred ways to jumpstart his mornings, turning his speakers up to 11 and blasting out Lamb of God, one of his favorite heavy metal bands. And if you aren't familiar with them, here for your listening pleasure. The blood's on the wall, so you that's a good morning rockin' song. I'd get up to that. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you want to contact the team, our email address is hibt at id.wondery.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, our account is at How I Built This, and mine is at Guy Raz. On Instagram, we're at How I Built This, and I'm at Guy.Raz. This episode was produced with music composed by Ramtin Arablui. It was edited by Neva Grant with research help from Claire Murashima. Our audio engineer was Maggie Luthar. Our production staff also includes Elaine Coates, John Isabella, Liz Metzger, Casey Herman, Carrie Thompson, Catherine Seifer, Alex Chung, Chris Massini, Carla Estevez, Josh Lash, and Sam Paulson. I'm Guy Raz, and you've been listening to How I Built This. If you like How I Built This, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. The problem, this dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.